Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Can someone please give me a mic check? بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد so welcome to inshallah ta'ala today's lesson of QP which is going to be uh, we're going to be starting with the tafsir of Surah Al-Balad and before we do that inshallah let us just recap very briefly what we did last week which was the concluding part of Surah Al-Shams so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the final passage of Surah Al-Shams we mentioned that Allah Azza wa speaks about the story of Thamud who are the nation of the Prophet Salih alayhi salatu was salam and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us the portion of the story of Thamud that is essentially them rejecting their Prophet refusing to acknowledge the miracle that Allah gave to them in the form of the she-camel and then going a step further in terms of that rejection and killing and harming that she-camel despite the explicit prohibition that was given to them by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and by his Prophet Salih Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes what takes place once they do that so Allah tells us at the end of Surah Al-Shams when the Prophet of Allah Salih said فَقَالَ لَهُمْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ نَاقَةَ اللَّهِ وَسُقِيَاهَا Beware of this camel of Allah, beware of its watering allocation, the time and place that it's been given to water from, meaning don't harm the camel and don't harm it in terms of its uh, being able to take from that water. فَكَذَّبُوهُ فَعَقَرُوهَا But they rejected this, they rejected the Prophet Salih, they rejected Tawheed, and they rejected this uh, command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَعَقَرُوهَا So instead they hamstrung the camel and we went through that in some detail last week. Then Allah Azza wa says, فَدَمْدَمَ عَلَيْهِمْ رَبُّهُمْ بِذَنْبِهِمْ فَسَوَّاهَا Allah Azza wa destroyed them completely, completely leveled them in destruction because of what they did. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concludes the surah by saying, وَلَا يَخَافُ عُقْبَاهَا And Allah Azza wa doesn't fear its repercussions from anyone. And the majority of the scholars of tafsir, as we mentioned last week, were of the position that it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is referring to himself, that he is the one who doesn't fear any repercussion when it comes to punishing his creation or punishing parts of his creation. No one can stand before Allah azza wa no one can withhold his punishment subhanahu wa ta'ala, no one can stand before him and oppose him jalla fi ula. And we said that there were other scholars who were of the position that it was the one that killed or the one that uh, Qudar ibn Salif and his group, the one who hamstrung the camel, they are the ones that are being referred to in this verse according to some of the scholars of tafsir, that they are the ones who didn't fear the repercussion of their actions out of ignorance, out of heedlessness, out of rejection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his power and ability, and then Allah azza wa destroyed them. And some of the scholars, as we mentioned last week, even went to the position that is referring to the Prophet Salih alayhi salam, that when he gave them that promise that the punishment of Allah would come, Enjoy yourselves for three days and then the punishment will befall you, meaning that he didn't have any repercussions, meaning he didn't feel any 
fear and telling them that the punishment of Allah was going to come upon them because they were given clear messages and signs, they rejected them. So now Salih has told them what will take place instead. Uh, but the majority of the scholars, as we said, were of the first position that it's referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is the one who doesn't fear repercussions from anyone. And that's because of the general context of the verses thus far, uh, or, or up until that point, which will speak about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his powers and his abilities. So that was the tafsir of Surah Al-Shams. And today, inshallah ta'ala, we begin with the tafsir of Surah Al-Balad. And we begin, as we always do, with the different names by which this surah is mentioned in the books of tafsir and the early books of narrations and a hadith. Uh, it is known by three names primarily. The first of them is the name by which we all know this surah, and it is perhaps the most common name by which it is known, and that is that it is Suratul Balad. Suratul Balad. And you will find this goes back to even some of the earliest scholars of hadith and tafsir, such as Ibn Qutaybah and Al-Tabari, and Ibn Hazm, and Ibn Abi Hatim, and Imam Al-Hakim, and his Mustadrak Al-Baghawi, Ibn Atiyah, and Ibn Kathir, and others amongst them as well. So a, a large portion or a large grouping of the scholars with tafsir refer to this surah as being a surah which is known as Surah Al-Balad. That's the first name by which it is known. The second name by which it is known is the entirety of the first verse. So that is Surah La Uqsimu Bihad Al-Balad. And that's a very common way as we've now covered numerous times. Very common for the scholars of old to name a surah using the entirety of its first verse. And from the early scholars who mentioned this as being from its names is Abdul Razzaq ibn Hammam al-Sana'ani rahimahullah ta'ala and Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak rahimahullah ta'ala and also Al-Imam al-Tabari. Imam al-Tabari refers to the surah Surah Al-Balad and in one place he refers to the surah, Surah La Uqsimu Bihad Al-Balad. That's the second name, therefore, by which it is known. The third name by which this surah is known is the opening portion of the first verse, and that's also very common. So it's very common in the names of the surahs, as we've seen, that either the whole of the first verse is mentioned as the name of the surah, or the first portion of the first verse is mentioned as the name of the surah. And so for this, for example, Surah La Uqsim. Surah La Uqsim. And this is the one that is uh, it is mentioned by this name by Imam al-Bukhari in the Sahih. And then later scholars, or some of them refer to it in this way, such as al-Suyuti and al-Shawkani. Some of the reasons, or one of the reasons why some of the scholars would, or you don't find the majority of the scholars going for this particular name. Uh, it's not one of the more common names by which it is known. And that's because, especially when there are surahs that have similar openings so more than one surah has the same opening uh, in the first verse then it can become confusing so for example surah la uqsim can either be surah al-balad or it could be surah al-qiyamah right la uqsimu biyawm al-qiyamah so that's why some of the scholars would wouldn't stay away kind of from those names that that could be uh, confused or misunderstood in terms of it being present and found in more than one surah of the quran so those are the three names by which this surah is generally known. So we have Surah Al-Balad, and that is the majority. Surah La Uqsimu Bihad Al-Balad, and that's also a name by some of the early scholars. And then the third name is Surah La Uqsim, and perhaps the most famous of the scholars who mentioned it with that name is Al-Imam Al-Bukhari, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, in his famous Sahih. And so therefore those are the three names by which it is known. This surah, in terms of its revelation and its timing, it is a Makki surah, a pre-Hijri surah. And that is the position of the vast majority of the scholars of tafsir. 
to the extent that some of them even say said that that is by ijma, that is by consensus. And as we mentioned before, that some of the scholars sometimes when they refer to this issue of it being one of agreement or one of ijma or one of consensus, it can sometimes mean that that is the position of the vast majority. And even though there were some scholars who may have disagreed with that position, they were so few and their position was so weak that it's not really considered to be a valid position. And that's why they will sometimes, despite themselves, sometimes you will find they will say by ijma, right? The majority of the scholars by ijma, this is the position or by agreement of the scholars, this is the position, and then they will themselves mention the opposing point of view. Shows you therefore that this is one of the terminologies that the scholars had, and it's important to understand these terminologies in each and different, in each and every single science. And sometimes it differs from one author to another, one scholar to another. But from amongst those scholars who said by ijma' by consensus, it is a Makki surah, is Ibn al-Jawzi. Rahimullah ta'ala, he said, kulluha bi ijma'ihim. This surah is a Makki surah, all of it, by consensus of the scholars. And from amongst those scholars who uh, said that there is agreement upon this, uh, also was Al-Imam Al-Qurtubi, Rahimullah ta'ala, as the Makhshari, also. And Ibn Ashur said, The vast majority of the scholars of Tafsir simply said that it is a Makki surah, they didn't go into any difference of opinion. And so you have, as we've said, those scholars who say that it is Makki by ijma', by consensus. Then there are often scholars who simply say that it is Makki, or that it is Madani, maybe if it's a Madani surah, they won't say it's by consensus, but that's basically the position that they've chosen, and they won't mention that there's a difference of opinion. And that's something very common, for example, that you find in Tafsir ibn Kathir. Ibn Kathir often just simply says it's a Makki surah or it's a Madani surah even though there may be a difference of opinion but he doesn't consider it to be a major strong difference of opinion. If he does consider it to be a strong difference of opinion then he may mention that and, and point towards it. But some of the scholars generally went into more detail in terms of the Makki Madani uh, surahs and whether there's a difference of opinion. So for example Imam Al-Qurtubi, people like Ibn Atiyah and others, they would often mention, even though there may be a very slight difference of opinion, there may only have been a handful of scholars or even one or two of scholars who took that other position, they're more likely to mention that as opposed to someone like Ibn Kathir. So therefore, you know, just as a point of methodology when we're doing tafsir, sometimes a mistake that people make is that they go to, for example, Ibn Kathir's tafsir and they say that he said that it's a Makki surah. And because he didn't mention any of the position, didn't mention any other point of view, they will simply say, therefore, that, I, that that is a agreed-upon position amongst all of the scholars of tafsir. Whereas if they were to go to more than one reference, go to Qurtubi, go to Ibn Atiyah, go to uh, some of the other scholars at Baghavi al-Shawkani, maybe they would find that actually, no, there is a difference of opinion. Ibn Ashur is someone who also often mentions the difference of opinion, rahimahullah ta'ala. And so therefore, it's a good thing to do, especially if this is something that you're going to be focusing on, or it's something where you just simply want to know, is it actually something that there is ijma' upon, that there is consensus upon, or is there actually something where there may be a difference of opinion? So for this surah, we found that there are scholars like Ibn al-Jawzi saying that it's by ijma', by consensus. And then there are other scholars who will simply say it is Makki, and they will suffice with that, and don't really go into any difference of opinion. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, being from amongst them, and before him, the likes of Ibn Hazm, and Al-Baghawi alihima rahmatullah. They are also from amongst those scholars who simply said that this is a Makki surah. But actually what you will find then is that there are other scholars who said that no, there is a difference of opinion. So some of the scholars were of the position that the this surah, Surah Al-Balad, is a Madani surah. It is a Madani surah. And this is mentioned perhaps from the earliest scholars who mentioned this, or one of the earliest scholars who mentioned this was Ibn Atiyah. 
Ibn Atiyah rahimahullah ta'ala said, This is a Makki surah in the position of the majority of the scholars of tafsir. And a group amongst them said that it is a Madani surah. Right? And this is something which Ibn Atiyah, uh, Ibn Ashur also refers to in his tafsir when he says, the vast majority of the scholars simply said that it is a Makki surah. But Ibn Atiyah referred to a group of people and, they said, and he said concerning them that they considered it to be a Madani surah. Ibn Ashur says the reason for this seems to be and Allah knows best. He says because of the tafsir difference in the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the second verse, that verse and inshallah ta'ala will come on to that verse today the meaning of the word hill and what it refers to, right? And some of the scholars say that it refers to, and there's a position of many of the scholars, that it refers to the Prophet wasallam being made halal, mean, be, be, meaning that it was made permissible for him, halal for him, you are free of any uh, sin or any blame, it is halal for you, permissible for you, lawful for you, to fight on the day of the conquest of Mecca. So this surah, as we know, will begin with an oath about the city of Mecca and its position and its status and its holiness. And then Allah says, وَأَنْتَحِلْ Some of the scholars said that the position of that meaning of that verse is that you're allowed to go just for you, a messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it is permissible for you to go and fight in a place that would usually and is usually a haram. It is a sanctuary. No one is allowed to fight therein. Even before the time of Islam, in the time of Jahiliyyah, we know that the Arabs had such a position and such a status and love and reverence for the city of Mecca that they wouldn't fight therein. There wouldn't be any fighting or war or killing or the shedding of blood because it is a place that Allah has made sacred from the time of Ibrahim والسلام, and it will continue until the day of judgment. But there was an exception to that and that exception was for the Prophet وسلم, and those companions alongside him عنهم, when they came to the conquest of Mecca in the eighth year of the Hijrah. So some of the scholars say that that's what it's referring to, right? And you know that's the position of, of the likes of Abu Salih and Al-Suddi and others and it's even a statement of Ibn Abbas that that's what it's referring to. Right? So some of the scholars took that as meaning that it's something therefore that was revealed before, uh, after the Hijrah. So it's a Madani Surah because the conquest of Mecca clearly takes place in the Madani position. But actually other scholars who held that same opinion didn't say that it was a Madani Surah. They said that it is a Mecca Surah, but that this is something which Allah is referring to in the future. It is a promise from Allah. It is something which Allah is saying to the Prophet that a time will come when you will come back as a conqueror to the city of, of Mecca. Right? And so therefore for them it is still a Mecca surah and those positions or those statements that are referred to by Ibn Abbas عنهم, and other scholars from the early scholars of the tafsir, they don't contradict it being a Mecca surah. Rather it's something which is referring to the future. Those scholars would consider it to be you known right now, O Messenger of Allah, it is allowed for you to go. They said therefore that it is a Madani surah. That seems to be uh, the position, right? That seems to be the position of some of them. And from amongst those scholars who also mentioned, this is Al-Wasiti in his tafsir as well. Uh, he seems to also say that it's something which is a Madani Surah and that Allah Azzawajal when he's saying, He's referring to the past tense, that you used to be someone who resided in the city of Mecca. And we will come onto the tafsir of that verse and the difference of opinion as to regarding its meaning. Uh, Imam Al-Qurtubi, he said, after mentioning this difference of opinion that you find, some of the scholars saying it's Makki, other scholars saying it is Madani. Wal-awwalu asah, 
He said in the first position, which is the position of the majority, that it is a Makki surah, that is more correct. Because this surah was revealed in Mecca by agreement, right? By agreement. And so this is something which you will find, right? So even Al Qurtubi is saying by agreement of the scholars, there is a, uh, there is that this surah is a Makki surah, even though he's pointing to the difference of opinion and saying actually the first position is stronger, right? Which goes to show what I was saying before that sometimes the scholars have certain terminologies and it's important to understand them, right? It's important to understand them. Otherwise, there can be confusion as to what is being referred to and what is being meant. So therefore, in conclusion, this surah has three names. Suratul Al-Balad, Suratul La-Uqsimu Bihad Al-Balad, and Suratul La-Uqsim. And the position of the vast majority of the scholars of tafsir, and it is the stronger position and Allah knows best, is that this surah is a Makki surah, a surah that was revealed before the Hijrah, even though there is a small group of scholars who stood by the position that it is a Madani surah that was revealed post Hijrah. This surah is a surah in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about humans, about mankind, about the human as an individual, and about Allah Azza wa Jalla and what, what blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to the human, and how that person can use those things that Allah Azza wa Jalla has given to them, those attributes, those qualities, those skills, those blessings that Allah Azza wa Jalla has bestowed upon each and every single one of us as humans, how we can use them in order to emancipate ourselves and free ourselves from the fire of hell. And so it is a surah that speaks about this issue of us as humans and what we need to do in terms of using the, the qualities and the abilities and the blessings that Allah Azza wa has bestowed upon us. But the verse of the surah begins by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taking an oath. And it is an oath that Allah Azza wa takes in the Quran a number of times in this format, right? And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا أقسم بهذا البلد I swear by this city. And that's the translation of Professor Abdul Halim. But you will find it more or less everyone, Sahih International, Muhsin Khan, Mufti Taqi, everyone saying, I swear by this city. And some of them in brackets put then Mecca, others don't. Uh, but it is the general consensus in terms of the translation of the meaning of this verse. This is something which we've seen a number of, uh, we've come across this before. And that is that sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in certain verses of the Quran or in certain surahs of the Quran and in certain verses Allah Azza takes an oath but he begins the oath by the word la. Now la generally in Arabic language means no. It is to negate something, right? Or to stop something or to prohibit something. That is generally the, the, the context in which la is used. Right? La generally means no. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here takes an oath by beginning with the word la. La uqsimu bihad al-balad. I swear by this city. So when you look at the translation, what they've essentially done is that they've taken out the la. They've almost more or less kind of ignored it. Or they haven't really referred to it in its literal meaning. Right? In the way that it would be literally translated. So what is the position of the la here? Right? This is the first thing that we need to uh, we need to understand. There are two positions amongst the scholars of of Arabic language, generally speaking, the two main positions amongst the scholars of the Arabic language and, and, and tafsir and so on, as to the position of this la and its function in this verse. And it's not the only place by the way, right? So for example when Allah Azza wa Jal says La uqsimu biyomil qiyama wa la uqsimu bin nafsi at the beginning of Surah Qiyamah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Shiqaq, 
So a number of times in the Quran, the, the word la is entered into a verse in which there is an oath. What is the position of this la? One of the positions uh, amongst the scholars of tafsir, and it's one that's mentioned by the teacher of our teacher, Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti, because this is something which he also refers to in his tafsir, uh, and in particular the portion of his tafsir or, or the book that's actually printed on uh, standalone. Uh, it's an amazing book in which he speaks about apparent problems in the Quran or apparent contradictions in the Quran or apparent places in the Quran where people may misunderstand because the, the meaning of the verses seem to contradict. They seem to be at loggerheads. And then he explains what the scholars of Tafsir said of how we understand them correctly. And this is an example of that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, no, right? La uqsimu. I don't take an oath. But the meaning of the verse is he does take an oath, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah is denying taking an oath, but clearly there is a lamb at the beginning, a lamb alif, which means no. What is that function? The function of this la, according to some of the scholars of tafsir, and it is a position of many of them, is that it is there for, uh, it, is, it is an additional lamb that is there for the, in, in the context of the oath, because it is negating something which is hidden, which isn't mentioned explicitly in the oath or in the verse. So when Allah Azza wa Jal takes an oath by this city, meaning the city of Mecca, but he begins by saying la, he is negating something. He is negating something that isn't referenced in the verse. What is he negating? According to the position of the scholars, that whenever this la is mentioned, he is negating a position from amongst the positions of the disbelievers, from the enemies of Islam, be that Quraysh, be that whoever it may be. He is negating one of the positions that they had. So for example, they're saying, that, oh, no, the city amongst the Muslims doesn't have any status. The city of Mecca is honored by them. They don't hold it to be sacred. It's not a sanctuary for them. They don't care about it. So when Allah says, La, it's almost as if there's a cutoff there. La, what you're saying is incorrect. Allah is negating what you're saying. He's rejecting what you're saying. And then it's as if it is, Uqsimu bihadil balad. Rather, Allah says, I do take an oath and swear by this city. So almost as if there is a, you know, kind of like a break between the two, even though it is obviously clearly one verse. That is the position of the likes of Ibn Qutaybah from the early scholars who dealt with Gharib al-Qur'an, like the unfamiliar words and phrases of the Qur'an. It is uh, the position of many other scholars that will mention this as well. So therefore, the lamb is something which they often call ziyada. Right? It is an additional lamb. Uh, but many of the scholars dislike this wording, ziyada. Ziyada, which basically means that something is additional. Some of the scholars didn't like that you say this about the Qur'an. That it may, Even though it may be correct from an Arabic a grammatical sense that it's an additional lamb, lamb alif, meaning that the lamb alif here, even if it wasn't there, the meaning would still be intact, right? When if Allah was to say uqsimu bi al balad, I take an oath by the city, the meaning is still intact. The lamb, therefore, they say is ziyada because it has a different function. But some of the scholars, uh, especially some of our teachers, didn't like the fact that they use the word ziyada. It makes it sound like it's additional. In fact, it does play a role. It does play a function. And if a memory serves me correct, Ibn Qayyim is someone who actually goes through this in detail, that he didn't like this wording of ziyada. And also some of our other teachers uh, more recently, they didn't like this word because it's not just additional. It does play a function. It plays a very important role. And that role is that it's actually negating and rejecting something which those people reject. So likewise, you could say, for example, in Surah Qiyamah, if Allah says, لا أقسم بيوم القيامة The la there, is to negate another position amongst the disbelievers that they rejected Yom Al-Qiyamah, they rejected resurrection, they rejected the last hour. It is rejecting, negating their rejection. 
And Allah is saying, but rather I take an oath by that day, showing that it is something which is extremely important, but also that it is something which is, uh, which is true and going to take place. So that's one position. The other position among some of the scholars of, t- of tafsir and Arabic and so on, Gharib al-Quran, and it's a position that was chosen by Zajaj, who was one of the early scholars also who wrote on these uh, topics, died in uh, like the early 300s, was the position that the lam here, the lam alif, the la, is lit tawkid. It is for emphasis. So the la here isn't something which is to negate, because sometimes, as we've seen before, when we've been speaking in the previous weeks of the word ma, right, meme alif, ma, which often means what, but sometimes it can mean who as well. Sometimes it, it can be to negate, it can be uh, nafia, sometimes it can be nahia, sometimes it can be mausula. There are all all of these words, these especially these small kind of like words, they have sometimes multiple functions that you find in the Arabic language. Depends on the context and depends upon what the person is saying. So likewise, the lamb alif has multiple functions. One of its functions is, they say, to add, to add emphasis and to show that something is extremely serious. And that is the position here. Right? So when Allah says, لا أقسم بهذا البلد It is as if Allah is saying, Surely, verily, indeed, I take an oath by the sacred city, meaning the city of Mecca. And this was the position chosen by some of the scholars of tafsir amongst them, perhaps the most famous amongst them, and Allah knows best, is Ibn Kathir. Rahimullah Ta'ala, he's someone who supported this position. If you look generally, uh, 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 if, if you look generally at the Haris Tafsir, you will find that he often says, right? It is for emphasis. Uh, <clears throat> so they can say, so therefore we have two positions here. Right? The first position is those scholars of Tafsir who said that the Lam Alif is there and it is to negate, but it is negating something which isn't present in the verse. It is negating something or rejecting a position that the disbelievers had. Right? Whatever the context of the verse may be, Allah is negating their position which is incorrect and then Allah is affirming the correct position. The other group of scholars said, no, the Lam Alif is for Tawqeed. Right? It is for Tawqeed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes an oath here by a city and it is the position of the vast majority of the scholars, in fact all of the scholars as far as I am aware of tafsir, that Allah is taking an oath here in this surah by the city of Mecca. So when Allah says Al-Balad, he's referring to the city of Mecca. That's why from the names of Mecca, and Mecca has many names, many ways in which it is referred to Bakka and Mecca and Umm Al-Qura and, and many other names that it is known by. From amongst the names that is given to the city of Mecca is Al-Balad. Al-Balad means the city, right? The city. So when we say it is the city, meaning the city of Mecca. And this is the position that was chosen by Ibn Abbas and radiyallahu anhuma and the likes of Mujahid and Ata from his students and Ibn Zayd and many of the scholars to the position to the extent in Qatada ta'ala, he said that the word when Allah takes an oath by the city the city is referring to, to Mecca Ibn Hajar ta'ala, to the extent that Ibn Hajar says ta'ala. the scholars agreed all of them that the meaning of the word city here is none other than the city of Mecca. May Allah honor it and may Allah protect it. Ibn Kathir, ta'ala, he says, and it is a very nice meaning that he takes here. He says that this is a, an oath that Allah takes by the city of Mecca, Umm al-Qura, 
في حال كون الساكن فيها حالا during the position where a person is living in this city in a state of being halal right and we're going to come on to this because it's very closely linked to verse number two now which we're going to come on to shortly he says that Allah Azza is taking an oath by the city and then if you connect it to verse number two it's when this person is halal halal basically meaning in this context that is not in the state of haram he is saying essentially, Ibn Kathir is essentially saying that this city is a city that even if you weren't in the state of Ihram, right, you were in normal clothes, you're not making Umrah, you're not performing Hajj, but you happen to be in the city of Mecca, it is something which Allah Azza wa has honored. And so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you're in the state of being halal in this city, why does Allah Azza wa say this? Surely what, it, what we should say is that you're in the state of Ihram, it has a greater sanctuary because now not only is the area of the city a place of sanctuary but the state that you're in which is the state of Ihram is a further state of sanctuary, right? You're in a blessed place but also you're in a blessed state which is the state of Ihram. But Allah Azza wa doesn't refer to that. He refers to the state of being halal meaning not being in Ihram, right? Ihlal here being the opposite of Ihram. You're not in the state of Ihram but even so, even if you're in normal clothing, you're not performing Umrah, you're not performing Hajj, none of the rights of, of, or none of the, the, the restrictions of Ihram are upon you, even so, this city has an amazing place in terms of its sanctuary. Therefore, Ibn Kathir ta'ala says, just simply by Allah saying that, we know and understand, therefore, that if a person was to be in Ihram, then clearly the status of the city of Mecca and the status of that person in the city of Mecca would be even greater than when Allah has taken an oath by. So as if that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned a lesser state, and we already understand from that, therefore, that the higher state is something which is even more important, even more, uh, the sanctuary of it is even greater, therefore, than the one that Allah is referring to. But essentially, verse number one is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taking an oath by the blessed city of, of Mecca. In verse number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, And you, O Prophet of Allah, are an inhabitant of this city. And that is the translation of, uh, Professor Abdul Halim. Muhsin Khan says, and you are free, and then in brackets, from sin and to punish the enemies of Islam on the day of conquest in the city of Mecca. Mufti Taqi says, and O Prophet, you are going to be allowed to fight in this city, and Sahih International, and you, O Muhammad, وسلم, are free of restriction in this city. As you can see, there seems to be a difference of opinion here in the translations, and that's because there is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir as to the meaning of the word hill. Right? وَأَنْتَ يُو بِهَذَا الْبَلَدْ in the city of Mecca. That's all very uh, clear, very simple, very straightforward. But the meaning of the word hill is where the scholars now differed. Right? What is the meaning of the word hill? Ibn Ashura, Ibn Ashur, rather, rahimahullah ta'ala says, that this verse, verse number two, مُعْتَرِضَةٌ بَيْنَ الْمُتَعَاطِفَاتِ الْمُقْسَمِ بِهَا This verse, verse number two, is a verse that comes in between two oaths. So Allah Azzawajal says, لَا أُقْسِمُ بِهَذَا الْبَلَدِ In verse number three, Allah will take another oath and will say, وَوَالِدٍ وَمَا وَلَدٍ Those are other oaths. But verse number two is not an oath. It is an interjection between the two oaths, between verses one and three. And instead Allah Azzawajal is referring to something else here and so he says the wow that we find at the beginning of this verse 
it is to show an interjection. والمقصود من الاعتراض يختلف باختلاف محمل معنى وأنتحن. And the reason for this interjection here depends upon what you consider the meaning of the word hill to mean. Right? What you consider the word hill to mean. So some of the scholars said that the word hill comes from the word halal. Right? Hill means halal. So you're not in haram, you're in a state of being halal. Other scholars said that it comes from the word hill, which is the opposite of al-man'a. Al-hil meaning the opposite of al-man'a. Al-man'a means to be prohibited. Therefore, al-hil means to be allowed. Something is not allowed for you, something is allowed for you. The first one, as we said, is that it is Mecca, that someone is in halal, meaning that they're not in haram. Right? They're not in ihram, they're in a state of ihlal. And the third position that you will find amongst the scholars is that it's referring to the word hal, that you're currently residing in a place. And that's why you find these differences of tafsir in the translation, you find them as well. Professor Abdul Halim goes with the position that it's referring to residence, right? Whilst you are an inhabitant of the city of Mecca. But the other three translations that we read, Muhsin Khan, Mufti Taqi, Sahih International, seem to go more towards the position of it being halal, some type of permission, free of blame, and free of sin, right? Allowed for you to do something. And you will find this as well. And that's why in uh, in in, um, in in the Muwatta of Imam Malik, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, Imam Malik said, وَلَمْ يَكُنْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَوْمَئِذٍ يَوْمَ الْفَتْحِ مُحْرِمًا The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on the day of the conquest of Mecca, he wasn't in the state of Ihram. Right? And this is a, you know, a slight like, tangent to this issue here. But the question here that I want us to, um, we haven't done a research topic in some time. And I think if, you know, maybe this is even the first one of this, um, of this year, QP4, in our fourth year that we wanted to do. But I wanted, to, wanted you to look into this and see what you can come up with, inshallah ta'ala, for next week. And that is the position of the scholars of a person who enters into Mecca and they don't want to make, you know, they're not intending to travel for Hajj and Umrah, because obviously if you're intending to travel for Hajj and Umrah, then you have to be in a state of ihram. But is it permissible to someone who's going to Mecca, doesn't intend to perform Hajj and Umrah, maybe they're going for business, maybe they're going to visit family, maybe they're going to study, whatever they're going to do, is it allowed for them to go into Mecca without being in the state of ihram? Or must they wear the state of ihram and perform Umrah anyway? Right, that's what I want us to look at. Right? What is the position of the scholars? Is it permissible for someone to enter into Mecca without being in the state of Ihram if they don't want to perform Umrah or Hajj? Meaning, is Mecca from its special characteristics of the city of Mecca that you can only enter into Mecca in a state of Ihram if you're coming from outside of the Miqat? You have to be in a state of Ihram. Or can you go to Mecca just simply for the sake of going to Mecca? Someone lives in Saudi Arabia maybe. Right? And they want to go to Mecca because they want to visit family. They want to go to Mecca because they want to pray in the Haram, but they don't necessarily want to make Umrah or Hajj. Right? And you can argue now, why would someone go there and not take opportunity of making, for example, Umrah? But that's beside the point. Right? The point here being is the ruling. Is it something which is permissible? And it comes down to this issue of the meaning of the word Hal. Right? Hill, rather. What is the meaning of the, this word Hal? Is it meaning you're halal, meaning you're not in the state of ihram, because the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, as we've seen from the statement of Imam Malik rahimahullah in his muwatta, when he came to conquer the city of Mecca, him and his companions radiyallahu anhum ajma'in, they weren't wearing ihram. Right? They were in battle gear. They were ready to fight as they conquered the city of Mecca. Right? So that's uh, something which, inshallah ta'ala, I would like you to uh, look into, inshallah ta'ala, for next week. 
and if you can have that ready so that when we begin because there's always a lapse right there's always a slight delay in me speaking and you hearing that i think because of the video uh, buffering whatever it is that happens and takes place so if you can have that ready so that at the beginning of next week if anyone has found anything and it shouldn't take you long i don't you know, expect an essay but whatever you find inshallah ta'ala then we can discuss that as a side point for next week with a lot more detail Going back to this verse, verse number two, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, right, What is the meaning of this? What is the meaning of this? The first position of the scholars of uh, the scholars of tafsir, the first position is that the meaning of the word hill is halal. The meaning of the word hill is halal. And therefore it is ضِدُّ الْحَرَمْ It is the opposite of it being a haram. Haram is a sanctuary. A halal, therefore, is something which is not a sanctuary. So, for example, we say when we're studying fiqh of hajj and, and the fiqh of, 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 of umrah and so on, we say, عَرَفَةُ hill وَالْمُزْدَلِفَ haram. Right? When you're looking at the sanctuary and the boundaries of Mecca, of the sanctuary of Mecca, of the haram, right? Mecca is in the haram, the majority of it, and also, uh, you know, like Mina is in the Haram, Muzdalifa is in the Haram, but Arafa isn't in the Haram. So Arafa is called Hill, right? Masjid Tan'im, which is often today called Masjid Aisha radiallahu anha, where Aisha radiallahu anha went in the final Hajj to go and put on a Haram so that she could go back and make her Umrah because she wasn't able to because she was on her monthly periods during the, five, the farewell Hajj of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The area which is Tan'im is Hill. It's a place that you can go and put on a haram, assume a haram, and then go back into the city or into the haram area, right? So that's the sanctuary. The haram is the sanctuary. The hill is outside of the sanctuary. But the word hill also means that you're free of blame. You're free of blame. You're free of any restriction. So that's why the haram is called a haram. It comes from the word haram because certain things are haram upon you once you enter into that state. As soon as you say, لَبَّيْكَ اللَّهُمَ عُمْرًا وَلَبَّيْكَ اللَّهُمَ حَجًّا Those restrictions of ihram come upon you. So now it is haram for you to do a number of things, which is why it is called ihram. And the word haram is sanctuary, because certain things are haram inside of that sanctuary. You can't fight, you can't uh, hunt, you can't uproot trees. All of those things make it a haram in the sanctuary. So therefore it is also called haram, right? Or haram. Uh, and, and therefore the meaning of the word haram is sanctuary, but also it comes from the root word of it being forbidden, right? Not lawful for you. So therefore, the word halal or hal or hal is that it's something which is permissible, something which is allowed, meaning that you are free of blame, you are free of restriction. And this was the position chosen by many of the scholars with tafsir that this is the meaning of the word wa antahillum. You will be without any blame or any restriction in the city of Mecca. And this is the one that was chosen by Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah ta'ala, in his sahih. When he came to the tafsir of this verse, he mentioned the statement of Mujahid, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, وَأَنْتَحِلٌ بِهَذَا الْبَلَدِ بِمَكَّةِ لَيْسَ عَلَيْكَ مَا عَلَى النَّاسِ فِيهِ مِنَ الْإِثْمِ Allah Azza wa was saying, Mujahid says to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in the city of Mecca, you will not have the sin that other people have within the city. And this is the position Ibn Hajar, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he says, and this can also be traced back to the statement of Ibn Abbas, Radiallahu Anhuma. That he said, Allah Azza wa Jal made it permissible for the Prophet to do in the city of Mecca as he wished or as he pleased, meaning during 
the conquest of Mecca. And that's also found in another statement of Ibn Abbas that he said, It is permissible for you, O Messenger of Allah, to fight in the city of Mecca. Right? And even though it is mentioned in the present tense, meaning now it is permissible for you, it is something which was clearly done to show that it would be something that would take place in the future. That's why, as we mentioned before in the Arabic language, the present and future tense are often one and the same. Right? They are often one and the same. So the present tense is often used for the future tense. Then the Surah Makkiyah, because the Surah was a Makki Surah, وَالْفَتْحُ بَعْدَ الْهِجْرَةِ بِثَمَانِ سِنِينَ Ibn Hajar says, but the conquest of Mecca would take place eight years after the migration to Medina. Right? And we know this generally from the Sunnah of the Prophet where the Prophet said that Mecca is a haram, and it was a haram that Allah made from the time of Ibrahim and it would continue to be a haram until the Day of Judgment. And if someone says to you, why did the Prophet ﷺ then fight therein? Say because Allah made it halal for him for a short period of the day. And after that, its sanctuary returned and it will continue until the Day of Judgment. So this is an exception. right? This is something which is an exception. It's something which is, uh, is, is, something which is um, uh, an exception only for the Prophet ﷺ and only for that particular time or that particular part of that one day. So that the Prophet ﷺ could come and he could conquer the city of Mecca. Because again, the position of conquering the city of Mecca, of cleansing it of shirk and of idolatry and polytheism, is a greater benefit of uh, over and above the harm of breaking that sanctuary. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him permission to do so. That is the position of, uh, of the first group of scholars who said, that it is what you can do. This is a position that Ibn Imam Al-Tabari also mentioned as one of the positions as the meaning of this. He said that it means that you are halal. Imam Al-Tabari said the first position of the scholars is that it is halal for you. It is permissible for you to fight whosoever you need to fight, to imprison whomsoever you need to imprison meaning to the Prophet And this was the position, therefore, that was chosen by Ibn Kathir ta'ala. And many of the scholars chose this position, as we mentioned before, Mujahid, and there's a statement of Ibn Abbas, and also Qatada, and Al-Hasan al-Basri, ta'ala. He said, really explicitly, Allah made it halal for the Prophet for a portion of the day on the day of conquest. And al dahaq said something similar, and it is permissible for your messenger of Allah to go and to fight on this day. And this is why, as we mentioned, we find in the hadith of Al-Bukhari and Muslim that the Prophet said, Indeed Allah made this city of Mecca a sanctuary, the day that he created the heavens and the earth, and it will continue to be a sanctuary because Allah made it so until the day of judgment. It is not allowed for you to go and to take from its trees. But rather it was made for me halal for a short portion of the day. And now it is, its sanctuary has returned today just as it was before today, meaning before in the past. So let those who are present inform those who are absent. Right? And that is hadith, a hadith in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. That's the first position. The second position amongst the scholars of tafsir. So that's the position of those scholars who say, therefore the meaning of the verse, وَأَنْ تَحِلُّمْ بِهَذَا الْبَلَدِ is that it is halal for you 
to do what you need to do in this city, meaning that there is no blame for you, there is no restriction for you. And that is the three translations that we found, the translation of uh, Muhsin Khan, Mufti Taqi, Sahih International. They basically took that position, that the meaning of the word So this verse, verse number two, as we said, is an interjection, meaning that it's an add-on to verse number one. Right? It's an add-on to verse number one. So it's almost as if right, Allah Azza is elaborating on the oath that he takes on verse number one. La Indeed, surely we have made, uh, Allah Azza says, indeed, surely we swear by the city of Mecca. And then Allah Azza expands further on that city of Mecca because the reason why Allah Azza is taking an oath, as we mentioned before, is to show the status of something, right? That's the general principle in the Quran, that if Allah takes an oath by something, Allah only takes an oath by something which is important, something which is significant, something which people should pay attention to. Why is Allah Azza taking an oath by the city of Mecca? Because of its position, because of its status, because it is the most beloved of lands to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because it is where the Kaaba is, because it is where the Prophet Ibrahim salam came and left the Prophet Ismail salam. It is the birthplace of the greatest of Allah's prophets and messengers, our Prophet wasallam. So Mecca has many, many virtues. And the Arabs understood those virtues as well. And so Allah takes an oath by it. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expands on that oath because people may misconstrue, misunderstand one aspect of it according to this position of tafsir, which is the first position of the tafsir of this verse. And that is that people may point to the Prophet and reject him because of him coming and making the sanctuary into a place where you can fight and you can imprison and you can kill and you can shed blood. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if we take the position of the majority of the scholars of tafsir, that this is a Mecca surah. And therefore Allah Azza is referring to something which will take place in the future. Even though it is in the present tense, it is a present future tense. Therefore a time will come, O Messenger of Allah, when you will come to this city and you will have to fight. You will have to come in with armor and with weaponry. And when you do so, it will be halal for you to do so. You will be free of blame, free of restriction, coming and entering into, into the city of Mecca as you will. Right? And so therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to something which will take place in the future. So Allah Azza is already uh, excusing him, if you like, already saying that it is something which is permissible for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi to do. Right? And therefore the Prophet sallallahu alayhi always understood that a time would come when he would be able to return back to the city of Mecca. Right? And when we understand this is a tafsir of this verse of, of Surah uh, Al-Balad, then when we look at the incidents that take place, whether it be in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah and everything that therefore takes place into the run-up of the conquest of the city of Mecca, we know that the Prophet ﷺ had an inkling, he had an idea that Allah had already told him that something like this would take place in the future, that he was preparing him for this position. Just as the Prophet ﷺ was told by Waraqa ibn Nawfal, as is in that long narration Sahih Bukhari when Waraqa says the cousin of Khadija radiallahu anha when the Prophet first receives revelation Waraqa says to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam a time will come when your people will exile you they will expel you and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is surprised and he says awa mukhrijiyahum will they surely expel me and, the, and Waraqa says a man never came with what you came with except that his people exiled and expelled him and so he had some notion that it would take place yes it takes another 13 odd years for him to reach that point but he understood that that's something which may take place just as Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying a time will come for you to be able to come back 
and to conquer the city and therefore it is something which you will also be allowed to see meaning you will also be able to come and see in the future that's the first position the second position is the translation that Professor Abdul Halim chose and that is the position that the meaning of this verse or the meaning of Hill here wa anta hillun al-hill bima'na hal a nazil the meaning of the word hill here is that you are an inhabitant, you are a resident. Nazilun. Halla bil makan idha nazala fi. You make hal of an area. If you inhabit it, you descend in it, you stay in it. Right? And this is the position that you will find also amongst some of the scholars of tafsir. Uh, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that if you were to take the first position, which is the position that you are free of blame, you are free of restriction, you are free of sin, then that is, as he says, as, and as we mentioned before, that is Allah Azza wa Jal promising the Prophet وسلم, about something in the future, that a time will come when you will enter into the city of Mecca as a conqueror, and when you do so, it will be halal for you to do so, to enter in that way and to uh, conquer the city in the way that you will city, in the way that you will in the future. He says, however, if we take the second position, that the meaning of the word hill isn't that it's a, a uh, that you're free of blame, but rather that it's that you're an inhabitant, then it is an extra virtue for the city of Mecca. So Allah Azza wa Jalla is taking an oath by the city of Mecca. It is a blessed city, and it is made even more blessed because of your presence in it, O Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Remember, this is a Mecca surah, so in this verse, it is not something which is a future thing that's happening, but a present thing. So in the present right now, it is a Mecca surah. Where is the Prophet ﷺ living? In Mecca. O Messenger of Allah, we take an oath by this city, the city of Mecca. And you too are a resident and inhabitant of this city, meaning that only increases it in terms of its honor, in terms of its position, in terms of its status. Right? As that's what Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin says, Mecca. It is a further emphasis to the honor and the status of the city of Mecca because firstly the house of Allah the Kaaba is in it and that in itself is an amazing honor and then secondly we have the Prophet as well Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin chooses the second position as being the stronger one he says and what seems apparent to me is that this second position meaning that it's referring to the residency of the Prophet ﷺ, that is stronger. When can even though it is the minority opinion, even though it is the minority opinion, right? and he chooses this position because he says that it's referring to the Prophet ﷺ as being someone who's living and staying in the city of of Mecca. Uh, Sheikh Muhammad uh, Ibn Taala, he mentions in his. Uh, his contemplations or his commentary, if you like, on these verses. He speaks to the point that Ibn Kathir mentioned, and a lot of what Ibn Kathir says, or some of his points that he makes, you can often find that he takes them from Ibn Qayyim or even before him from Ibn Taymiyyah. Uh, Ibn Qayyim mentions the same point that we referred to before when he was speaking about Ibn Kathir, the issue of the fact that Allah says that it is halal for you that this is the position of someone not in the state of Ihram, in the city of Mecca. Therefore, the person who is in the state of Ihram, it is even greater for them, right? It is even greater for them because of 
of, of what it is that this city will hold. He says that's one position. He's saying that if we take the second position, which is the one that was chosen by Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shinqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, uh, the position that some of the scholars chose that is referring to the residency of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He says then there is a, a it is a uh, an oath that Allah azza is taking to show the position of the city of Mecca, but also the position of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That this is the best of places, and in the best of places we have the best of people residing in it, meaning the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And then he says, وفي الآية قول ثالث. There is another position, a third position that we can take, or a third understanding that we can take from this verse, and that is that the word وَأَنْتَ حِلْ the word, that, the word حِلْ in this verse, verse number 2, is that people, that the meaning of it is وَأَنْتَ مُسْتَحَلْ قَتْلُكَ وَإِخْرَاجُكَ مِنْ هَذِ الْبَلَدِ That people will make it halal to kill you in this city, O Messenger of Allah, and to exile you from it and to fight you in it. And that is a different uh, tafsir, and it's also a nice tafsir. Basically, essentially, what, you, what, what he's saying, rahimahullah ta'ala, is that the meaning of wa'antahil, and this, he says, is the position of one of the scholars of the tabi'een by the name of Shurahbil ibn Sa'ad. Shurahbil ibn Sa'ad was from the students of the companions, and he's from the scholars of the tabi'een, and he was someone who was well-versed, especially in particular in al-Maghazi, in the battles that the Prophet ﷺ fought and people would often go to him during his time because he met the likes of Zayd ibn Thabit and Abu Huraira and many of the companions and people would often go to him and ask him which of the companions were present in the Battle of Badr because right? we know the more famous ones, the ones that were in Badr and Uhud but there were obviously many whose names we don't know people during his time would go and say what about so and so and so and so because they were obviously much closer to that generation people knew people more, their names were uh, familiar to them and they would ask him and he was one of those scholars of that time who uh, who understood this in terms of you know specializing in the battles of the Prophet and his different expeditions and what took place anyway it is said that this is his position in terms of this verse that the word hil um, means mustahal that Allah is saying and people will make it halal for you in a place that is normally a sanctuary where people don't even harm birds, they don't harm animals, they don't harm trees or plants or vegetation, but they will come and harm you, O Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That's referring to obviously the issue or the incident where the Quraysh, all of them gathered and colluded and united to come and try to assassinate the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And again, that is therefore something that Allah is telling and informing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that this is something which will take place in the future. So we have these three kind of understandings or these three positions from this verse. The majority of the scholars say that it's referring to the conquest of Mecca, that it will be made halal for you to fight therein. The second position, the one that was chosen by Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin, is that it's referring to an extra accolade for the city of Mecca, an extra honor for it, and that is the residency of the Prophet during that time when this surah is being revealed. And some of the scholars, and they are even more of a minority, maybe only uh, one or two uh, said that it's referring to the way that others would make it halal to fight and try to kill the Prophet and Allah knows best. But as we said, the majority chose the first position, Ibn Kathir and others, and that is that it's referring to the city of Mecca being made halal in terms of uh, the Prophet coming for the conquest of Mecca. So I think that that is a good place, inshallah ta'ala, for us to conclude. If there's any questions, we can take them. Um, Solange is asking, are they okay if 
the ta'kid is mentioned for example yeah so tawkid is, is something which is well known if you're referring to our scholars okay or saying that a, a word is for ta'kid yes uh, the issue that they have is not the meaning of the word ziyada but the way that it can sometimes be understood because ziyada means something extra right something additional and there is nothing extra or additional because the sometimes the understanding of the word is that if you were to take it out it wouldn't be missed but the meaning is that no, actually it is missed. It is therefore a very clear reason. And we had many examples of this. If you remember when we were doing, for those of you that attended the reading of Tafsir Jalalain a couple of years back, which we did in Ramadan, he was from the position of the Jalalain were often uh, referring to things as being the additional or extra. Right? And that wording, even though that's not their meaning, clearly it's not their meaning, but it is something which, uh, you know, which some of the scholars uh, disagreed with. So the problem isn't the meaning, the problem is the wording, right? And so to say, for example, Islam al-Tawqeed or Islam al-Nafiyah, right? That's probably a better um, usage of the wording just so for, for the purposes of clarity. But clearly the meaning of those scholars is, is one and the same. Uh, Naeem is asking, other three translations make sense in the context, context of Fatah al-Makkah, how do we understand the Halim? So that's the one that we refer to, right? He's saying you're an inhabitant of the city. That's referring to, uh, that's, that's referring to the city of uh, the Prophet adding an extra, uh, if you like, dimension to the 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 status of Mecca and its honor and its position. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Okay, so let us inshallah Taala conclude there. Barakallahu fiqum, and inshallah Taala next week we will continue with verse number three. Wassalamu ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.